tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. And I'll stop and point it out again. It isn't she will pay for her sins, but her sins have been paid for. Very big difference. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. We were real quick to, to point out, real careful to point out last week as well, that this wasn't just about Israel. God, God was not just forgiving Israel, but this is as fresh and real and personal and wonderful for us for a very simple reason. Because Romans 3.23 points out something important here, which is it wasn't just Israel, it's us. We today, we all still uh, fall, fall short of God's glory, don't we? We sin. We miss the mark. It's not just Israel. It's us. This is important, as important for us as it was for them. And when it comes to our sin, none of us have a defense. There's no alibi. There's no excuse that we can offer. So here we are, just like them last week, as this message is heard for the first time. We're the same. You know, without God, before God steps in, we deserve the punishment. We deserve the death. But y'all, from last week, God chose to comfort us instead. God chose to have somebody else pay for our sins, to send the Holy One, the Messiah, to save us and to rescue us. And we pointed this out, out then, but I'll, I'll say it again. The wonder and the majesty of this all is that everything we talked about, everything that happens here, all of the Scripture, this is all God's initiative. This is all His idea. We have done nothing to earn this or to deserve it. But today what we're going to find out is that even though this is God's initiative, this is His plan, this is His movement, this is His message, we still have a very vital role to play in Advent. Would you all like to hear what it is? Well, prepare yourselves and let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you today to shine your light in our darkness. And Father, though, though we are recipients of grace, we do not earn our salvation. God, would you help us to prepare the way? Father, would you help us to rise up and to do what you've called us to do because our part is small, but oh God, it's important. So give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. God, give us a willingness to respond to you and to step into the fullness of this great salvation and this abundant life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today's passage, Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough places shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay, let's, let's just bear one thing in mind before we, we, we get going here. Remember, as we said, this is God speaking and God is speaking prophetically to his people back then, okay? This is 700 years before it actually happens, God speaks prophetically. There is a lot of symbolic language in this. You know, we've just talked about mountains and valleys and hills and rough and rugged places. Lots of symbolic language. 
But the point here of Isaiah 40, 3 through 5, is very straightforward. Okay, it's very, very simple. God is speaking into their wilderness, and he's saying, you know what, guys? I am on the way. And when I get there, when I get there, when I get to you, it will be glorious. It will be wonderful. It will be amazing for my people. But before I get there, there is a job you've got to do. All right, now a little more history. Back then, whenever a king was coming to visit, okay, a king was coming to visit anywhere in the Middle East, um, two things happened, okay? Now, the second thing is this. People went at once. They scattered, and they went to the roads, the highways, the main thoroughfares, and they got the road ready for the king, okay? So you know what that makes the people? It makes them a modern-day Virginia Beach or Virginia DOT crew. And they literally did what our Department of Transportation crews do. They fixed the road. They straightened the road out. The people would go out, and they would remove rocks. They would remove debris. They would fill in holes. They would smooth the road. Um, any of you baseball parents, if, you, if you've ever seen them groom a field, right, you, you get the fence, you drag it behind the little, uh, whatever it is, the little ATV, they would literally smooth out the road for the king. And the reason is so that the king could travel safely to you, so the king could reach the destination. Whether the road was washed out or destroyed in any other way, the people got the road ready. So here God is literally saying to his people, heaven's king is coming. And it is your job, my people. And by the way, he's coming not to condemn you, but he's coming to save you. Now, how do we know here that the king is not coming to condemn? Because of the glory that's promised, right? So the king is coming to save. But that means for you, it's your job to get the road to your heart prepared to meet him. So he can show up and do everything that, that is in his heart to do to bestow every possible blessing. God is saying, heaven's king is coming. You got to get ready. And it means two different things for two different groups of people. For those who are like valleys, rugged places, all right, a rough road for those who are low, who are despondent, who are depressed, who would call themselves troubled and barren, you step into hope. Step into the great hope of God. You will be exalted by your king. And for the other group, for those who are like mountains and hills, for those who are lofty, arrogant, and proud, step into humility before the king gets there. And what this simply means is acknowledging, confessing your wretchedness, your need, your sin, turning to the Lord. And we know what that's called, right? It's called repentance. We, we literally turn to the Lord, and we do it. We confess, God cleanses, and he saves us. Now, that's the second thing that happens when the king is on the way. We'll know the king is coming when the first thing happens, when a heavenly messenger or when a messenger arrives appearing out of nowhere in your wilderness, and he announces my coming. Now, the first time I heard about this, I thought, this is a strange concept. I'm not sure what's going on here. So let me give you a modern-day example of the kind of messenger that we're talking about. Um, when I was in NASCAR, I became friends with a guy named Byron, okay? Uh, Byron had probably the oddest job I had ever heard of. He was, he was literally called the setup man. Byron was a setup man. So you got it, right? You got the example. Everything's crystal clear. No, it's a strange concept. 
Byron worked for a man named Joe Gibbs, okay? Now, you may have heard of Joe Gibbs, you may, maybe you haven't, but Coach Gibbs, yeah, we all know Coach Gibbs, um, Coach Gibbs had an NFL career where he won three Super Bowls with the Washington Redskins, Most of, some, many of you, your favorite team, I know that. Um, so, you know, co- Coach has kind of got a rep, right? Um, well, then he goes into NASCAR, and he, he buys a, a team, he buys and creates a team, and when I was in NASCAR, they were, they were one of the top three teams in the sport. I would argue today they're one of the top two teams. And, and just so you know, with, with Joe Gibbs, I, I know him quite well. He is a very devout Christian. He is a very influential man. And he has zero time to waste. Zero time. So Byron worked for Coach as a setup man. And he would literally go before Coach Gibbs everywhere they traveled. So if you, if you saw Byron, you knew Coach wasn't far behind. Byron would go, and he would set up everything for Coach, all right? So he set it up for Joe down to the smallest detail, and it could be clothing, logistics, itinerary, lodging, um, a snack. When, when Joe had a few minutes, he did all of it. So when Joe shows up, he can give his full attention to the main thing, and, and uh, he could have maximum impact. So, you know, whether it was a TV interview, um, the race, a team briefing, or even me, Joe was completely ready. All right, so you you get what Byron's job is, right? Um, So one day Byron walks up to me and he says, "Uh, Steve, coach needs to see you right now. And so I was like, oh my goodness. So, you know, I, I start following after Byron and about 10 steps in, I stopped and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't work for Joe Gibbs. What does he want? And, and Byron goes, does it really matter? It's coach. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And so I kept going. <laughs> so I, I asked Byron one day, I said, I said, listen, man, your job is so weird. Do you like what you do? And uh, Byron said, Steve, you know, my job is, is strange. It's really odd. But it is a singular honor to serve a great man like Joe Gibbs. And then he said, I, I am really NASCAR's John the Baptist. Except, except I'm no prophet and Joe Gibbs is not Jesus Christ. And I said, well, you're right. But what Byron is referring to here, he, he is talking about this messenger in Isaiah 40. He's talking about this man that we, we familiarly know as John the Baptist. That This man in Isaiah 40, verse 3, this last Old Testament prophet, um, that this one who came to prepare the way for heaven's king. For Jesus Christ to come to us. And in Luke 1, uh, Zechariah, who's John the Baptist's father, and by the way, he didn't call his son John the Baptist, he just called him John. We tagged that on later on. But Zechariah tells us exactly what he will do as this messenger and this forerunner of Christ. He says in Luke 1, 68 through 79, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people. That's Advent. Um, and redeem them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. That's Jesus Christ, the, the, the King. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from our enemies. And I love this, to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness all our days. And you, my child, John, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. 
You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. Isn't that sweet? I mean, John will come and he will do this. And, and so he shows up in the Gospels as the set-up man for Jesus Christ. And just so you know, John knows exactly who he is in the story. In fact, when he shows up in Matthew, Matthew 3.3, 3, listen to what John says about himself. I am a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so this is what John does for the people. He comes and he, and he prepares them to meet Jesus Christ so that he, they can receive him and he can be Lord, Savior, and King. This is John's job. And y'all, John's instructions to the people back then, John's instructions to us now on how do we get ready for Jesus in Advent, in life, how, how do we prepare? His instructions, they're simple. How simple? Well, like one word simple. His instructions are for us simply to repent. Many of you know the story so well. John shows up and he calls the people to repent. And we see right off the bat, even here in Matthew, that that's exactly what most of the people do. You know, the people who would identify themselves as valleys, in low places, rugged plains, rough roads, those folks, the lowly, the despondent, the downtrodden, you know, the, the, the living scandal that makes, you know, the church world just recoil and, and, you know, just shock and everything else, they repent immediately. It says in verse 6, they were quick to confess their sins, to get right down into the water and be baptized by John on the spot. Just a moment before their living scandal, dirty, all sinners deserving death and hell, but they step into this repentance. They confess their sins. They're cleansed. And you know what they are now? They're prepared. They are ready to meet Jesus Christ. They're ready for anything and everything Jesus will do in their lives. One simple thing, this repentance. There was another crowd around that day, and uh, they quite weren't quite where the lowly and the despondent were. Uh, the valleys, the, the rough ground, the rugged plain. Uh, the mountains and the hills had a very different take on the situation. They weren't very interested in what John had to say. And these were the arrogant, the proud, the self-righteous. Um, unfortunately, it happened to be a very religious crew. But we see that the Sadducees and the Pharisees who have come out to hear John, but they, they've pretty much just come to watch. They think in their own estimation, man, we're, we're already good with God. You know, we've got traditions. We've got, we've got a church culture. We're fine. We don't need to, to do any of this that John suggests to repent. And what John gives them is a very stinging rebuke. And then John gives them a command. Joe Polusek, you mentioned this the other day. And every time I hear this phrase, it just makes me shudder. But John says to them, if you are repentant, then produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I love the way that the, the uh, NLT says this. It says, prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and you've turned to God. 
In other words, John's message to the religious, and it's not all of them, but to this crowd, is, guys, practice what you preach. If you had repented of your sin, you would be humble. You'd come in here with gentleness. You would jump on any bandwagon that has Jesus' name attached to it. And so the Pharisees are left in this moment to just, just kind of mull this over. And while they're thinking about this and probably stewing about this and probably not very happy with John for daring to say this to them, John goes on to tell us what Jesus Christ will do for the repentant. And it lines up with his father, Zechariah, said in, in Luke, uh, Luke 1. You know, that beautiful little phrase that I kind of highlighted in my speech and says, and, and he will enable us to serve him without fear. I love that phrase. John goes on to explain exactly what Zechariah meant by this. When he says, I baptize you with water for repentance in verse 11. But Jesus Christ is coming. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In other words, Jesus Christ is not just coming to cleanse us from sin. And if that's all he did, man, that's like worth throwing a parade for. That, that's, that's worth hallelujah, a, a million years of thanksgiving and praise. He is not only coming to do that, but he's coming to equip, empower, energize his church. There's going to be a whole lot more John the Baptist running around when he's done this. And so this is the promise of our God for the church today. He will come and cleanse, and he will come, and he will empower his church. Woo! Amen. Okay. Had to get that in there. And so, look, today as we move toward uh, our Advent communion, I want to invite you to do what John invited the people to do. I want to invite you, and you meaning me as well, I want to invite us to take a couple of minutes and just prepare ourselves. Prepare ourselves for communion. Prepare ourselves for this Advent season. Prepare ourselves for the year ahead. I'm going to invite us to, to take a moment and to be still. And that little phrase that Zechariah said that, that he has come to shine darkness, uh, to shine light on those living in darkness and those in, in the shadow of death. Let's let Jesus shine in our darkness for just a minute as a people. And I'm just going to ask you in, in these moments, when you get still and you take a look at the road of your heart and your life, what's in the way today? What's in the way between you and Jesus? What is rough road in our lives? It could be fear, anger, offense. It can be any kind of lowly condition that, that, that really takes the wind out of us and you know, it might even lead us into lots of different types of sins. It can also be some of, some of the arrogant sins we read about. Pride, self-righteousness, self-pity. Whatever you see in these moments, repent, okay? Repent, confess it to God. And folks, when we have done that, we're prepared. We're ready. We're, we're ready for Jesus Christ to do all kinds of amazing things in our lives and our families. I think we're also ready to become another John the Baptist, to become a messenger, showing up in other people's wildernesses, announcing that the king has come to them. So let's just take a moment and pray, and then, Neil, I'll invite you up to lead us uh, uh, through communion.
Father, I thank you that though we, we look at the matter of, of sin and waywardness, when we do so, Lord, we are, we are confessing truth, that we do fall short, all of us, of the glory of God. We sin. And yet, Lord God, you have made a way for us to be free. And today we rejoice in your freedom as, as Father, we surrender like we sang today. We surrender those things that are, that are lovely, uh, unlovely, those things that are ugly, God, those things that, that tie us up and bind us. And I thank you that, Jesus Christ, you are here to cleanse us, to redeem us from the hand of our enemy. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here to also blow through our hearts and our minds with a fresh wind from God. I thank you that we have not been left down here to tread water and to be a moral example to the world. We are here by the grace of God and by the empowering of your Holy Spirit and in, in, the, in the shadow of the cross. We are here to bring good news. We are here to become part of the rescue party. I thank you that you saved us so we could join you in this effort. God, I thank you that that is what Advent and Christmas are all about. It is not about the church escaping from a troubled world, but it's about discovering how you want to enter into this world, what you want to do in this world. And so, Father, we just say today as we come to the communion table, as we look to this manger and ultimately to this cross, Father God, would you do something deep in our hearts, our minds, our spirits. Lord, we are your church. We are your children. Father, we are yours. We are yours. Once again, we rejoice in your great salvation as we receive forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. Neil, come on up. On the night before he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take ye, drink ye of it. Do this in remembrance of me. Will those who are at the service please come forward.